Only the victim is alive and the murderers are not. It's a pity you didn't know when you started your game of murder that I was playing too. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Believe in ghosts? First simply disappears, the other two died. It's your host, criminal researcher and non-destructive cult leader, Ashley Lana. How are you doing, Fear Cult? How's your week been? Bigger question, Barbie or Oppenheimer, which one did you see? And I know I have listeners out there going, I don't fit with the status quo, I didn't see neither. And uh, good for you, I saw Oppenheimer, and it was great. (laughs) I want to take a moment to just appreciate the absolutely incredible performances delivered by the entire cast of Oppenheimer. Because each member deserves an individual Oscar for their portrayals. Hashtag Oscarheimer. I'm going to start that one. Hashtag Oscarheimer. All right. And the atomic bomb scene. Oh, mercy. I I can still vividly recall the deafening silence that just engulfed the theater. Not a single person dared to move. No one spoke. Pin drop silence. The entire audience was just completely captivated by the intensity that was just unfolding on the screen. It was it was amazing. And for those of you who are like me, where movies are great, they're fantastic, but you prefer books, immerse yourself in Kai Bird's captivating biography, American Prometheus, about Robert Oppenheimer. I read it when I was in high school, and I was so excited to reread it prior to going and seeing this movie. And it's Christopher Nolan applauds all across the board. He did so well. The cinematography in Oppenheimer was just breathtaking, and it left me in awe, and it made me wonder... I should do an episode on Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. We can explore into the eerie and unsettling aspects of the dark history of nuclear weapons, and we can just have a truly captivating historical episode. But that's not for tonight. Tonight we are delving into the dark web, and it's absolutely terrifying, which is why you always return for more episodes. So with that being said, welcome to Lullaby. Last episode, we examined the real story of the history of the Amityville Horror House in New York. The conspiracies and the truth were all discussed in depth, and you loved it. Fantastic. So thank you for reaching out and letting me know. For tonight's episode, huge bloody disclaimer. This is a wow episode, which is fear cult terminology for worst of the worst if you're new. The content of these episodes is profoundly challenging to listen to, and... This episode examines the silent atrocities of online child abuse and trafficking. And openly discussing and addressing online child abuse and trafficking is crucial for several reasons. It raises awareness, it breaks the silence and the stigma, it educates individuals about online safety, and it puts pressure on authorities to take stronger action. Ultimately, it helps us protect vulnerable children and support survivors. Because educating children about online predators and abuse is essential, and it should be equally important to teach them that any form of abuse encountered online should be reported to the authorities. By instilling this knowledge and encouraging open communication at home, we can empower children and adults to protect themselves and seek help when needed. Tonight, 
I have gathered a diverse range of sources that shed light on the horrible intersection that is crime and technology. These include the 2023 Handbook of Crime and Technology authored by Don Hummer and James M. Byrne, as well as the gripping tale of Dark Territory of the Secret History of Cyber War by Fred Kaplan. Additionally, I watched 60 Minutes, the documentary Catching a Monster of Australia's Worst Pedophile, along with valuable insights from the Sydney Morning Herald and interviews with Peter Scully himself and Matthew Graham. I have also consulted the Age National News of Melbourne, Australia, and endslaverynow.org, as well as UNICEF. We are going to venture into the darkest corners of this abyss, a place that is so wicked that even the most depraved pedophiles consider it to be the epitome of evil. So get comfortable, because sweet dreams are made of these. The following story contains subject matter involving graphic descriptions of crimes against children, child trafficking, pedophilia, graphic violence, and murder. Please take into consideration that some topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Dear citizens of the internet, over the past decade, the internet has become an increasingly integral part of our daily lives. It has evolved into the catalyst behind free media, free speech and global communication. Since its inception, the World Wide Web has become a prominent medium for individuals such as journalists and activists alike. However, a great injustice lurks beneath the surface. A vile infestation of abhorrent animals have been growing, parasitically spreading like cancer. Unknown to the world, it has consumed and victimized innocent children as well as adults. The growing trade of child pornography has become a major problem. While government organizations have put much effort into the dismantling of individuals and websites dedicated to this repulsive trade, the providers of this content have grown frustrated and moved their trades into a much seedier place known as the Darknet, a network dedicated only to the iniquities that are outcasted by the society who strive in. Unfortunately, a potentially benevolent resource has been corrupted by these sick and sadistic abominations of the world. We, Anonymous, have an eternal duty to fight against the social injustices of this world. When we came into this virtual realm, we were disgusted with the content that was provisioned and readily available for the perverted masses. Many of us have lingering traumatic images of the material that these pedophiles were hiding on the darknet. Anonymous took a pledge to defend the defenseless and fight for the fallen. We rallied an army called the Legion, and armed ourselves with our Chris Hansen cannons. We set out for the Great Hunt which has become Operation Darknet, also known as, to catch a predator. We found that a majority of the Darknet pedophiles were using a site called Lilita City. We demanded that the major provider of the host known as Freedom Hosting rid their servers of such reprehensible materials. Unfortunately, to our horror, the owner of Freedom Hosting was the perpetrator for most of the pedophilic content. We are now aware that this provider has over 100 gigabytes of content depicting children being sexually exploited for money and sick thrills that only the underlying insects of this world could take pleasure in. While successful in our onslaught to identify users and take down the hosting provider of this unacceptable content, the darknet is a vast sea with many providers. However, we fully intend to make it uninhabitable for these disgusting degenerates to exist without the fear of prosecution or death. 
This is our message, our manifesto. You may hold us to every last word, for we will never turn a deaf ear upon the screams of innocent children. You know who you are, and so do we. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. This is the true story of the dark web's pornographic organizations, Hurt to the Core, and Daisy's Destruction. Let's imagine the ocean. If you close your eyes and imagine the ocean, what do you see? As your eyes gently shut, do you envision the tranquil shoreline, where the waves gracefully collide with the rugged rocks? If you're picturing this, transport yourself into the serene waters where you find your body wading through different layers of the vast ocean. We are going to imagine that the ocean has three levels of depth. You are currently wading at the shallow surface level. Imagine the safe, secure comfort that is surrounding you, where sunlight dances upon the waves and the water is clear and inviting. This represents the surface web, where most of our online activities take place. It is the realm of social media, news websites, and search engines, where information is easily accessible and readily available. Now let's dive deeper into the depths of this ocean, just as we venture into the deep web. As we descend, the sunlight fades, and we enter a realm that is less visible and less explored. The deep web represents a vast amount of content that is not indexed by search engines, it includes net banking, hidden wiki, private databases, medical records, academic resources, and other hidden corners of the internet, all that require specific access or knowledge to reach. It is a realm of valuable information, but one that requires a deliberate search to uncover its treasures. And finally, we reach the darkest depths of the ocean, the dark web. Here, light is non-existent, and the environment is vast and shrouded in secrecy. The dark web represents a hidden network of websites that are intentionally concealed and require special software to access. It's a realm associated with illicit activities, murder for hire, illegal information gathering including human trafficking and illegal pornography, only to name a few. It's crucial to be aware of the dangers of the criminal elements that exist within this realm especially the growing dangers of pedophiles and human trafficking for sex crimes and exploitation. In 2003, a 16-year-old Canadian hacker and software engineer named Aubrey Cottle became the mastermind and the founder of the anti-cyber censorship group, Anonymous. Anonymous are most recognized for their ambiguity while wearing a Guy Fox mask from the film V for Vendetta, symbolizing defiance against the government in the name of civil rights. Anonymous is comprised of the world's best hackers, capable of launching targeted and coordinated cyber attacks against any highly guarded government platform. The group is a decentralized international collective known for their cyber attacks against the government, institutions, corporations, and the Church of Scientology. They engage in hacktivism to challenge perceived oppression and corruption. Their activities have sparked both controversy and admiration of online activism with their distinctive approach to creating change. Anonymous started within the 4chan platform in 2003. 4chan is an incognito online bulletin board, allowing users to communicate in secret. 
Over the years, the group Anonymous have been involved in many notable cyber attacks. In January 2008, Anonymous targeted the Church of Scientology regarding censorship and suppression of information, believing the church was violating freedom of speech and expression. Anonymous accused the church of violating human rights, including harassment, intimidation, and exploitation of its members. The online group created a cyber platform for whistleblowers to speak freely of their experiences within Scientology. Anonymous announced in an online video that Project Chinology was about to begin and the denial of service attack on Scientology.org was starting, meaning intended servers for the members would become blocked from entering. On February 25, 2022, a significant event unfolded as Anonymous launched their latest attack. This time, their target was none other than Russia, following the invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces. In a bold move, Anonymous declared a full-fledged cyber attack against Putin and his regime, resulting in the shutdown of numerous Russian government websites. However, their actions did not stop there. Anonymous took it a step further by unveiling a staggering 200 gigabytes of classified information sourced from the Russian military of defense, alongside other confidential data from various private entities. It is known worldwide that Anonymous is not to be messed with. On July 24, 2008, Dublin-born Eric Owen Marquez developed a dark web hosting service called Freedom Hosting. Freedom Hosting allowed for the creation and distribution of child pornography websites. It was one of the largest providers of anonymous hosting services on the dark web in its time. The service allowed users to create and maintain websites without revealing their identity or location, making it attractive to individuals involved in illegal activities. Eric Marquez's Freedom Hosting Tor browser played a significant role in the distribution of a staggering 8.5 million abusive images of CSAM, child sexual abuse material. Shockingly, it would not be until 2013 that among these horrific images, approximately 2 million depicted victims who were previously unidentified by law enforcement would be recognized. Freedom Hosting quickly transformed into a notorious hub enabling pedophiles to effortlessly access over 200 child pornography websites while remaining completely anonymous with just the simple click of a mouse. Owner of Freedom Hosting, Eric Marquez, left this warning on his site that stated, quote, We do not give permission for uploads of any illegal files. If you do so anyway, we are not responsible for your actions. I will not assist in any use of the server for illegal purposes. Sorry, I have to protect myself. I do not consent to the use of freedom hosting servers for any illegal activities. If you do illegal activities on this server, I will not go to jail for you. If my identity is compromised and I am questioned or forced to cooperate to identify you, I will do it to ensure my freedom. In a quiet suburb nestled in the outskirts of South Morang, Australia, a young man named Matthew David Graham celebrated his completion of his final year of high school. At the tender age of 18, Matthew possessed a unique blend of shyness and remarkable intellect, making him stand out among his peers. He had a spotless record and an impeccable academic and behavioral history. It was evident that he was destined for greatness. However, it was within that digital realm that Matthew's true passions thrived. The online game World of Warcraft became Matthew's sanctuary, a place where he could escape the harsh realities of life and immerse himself in the realm of solace and exhilaration. But as he explored the vast expanse of the internet, Matthew found himself inexplicably drawn to the shadows. One such virtual meeting ground was the infamous website known as 4chan. 
This online hub became a sanctuary for young hackers, trolls, violent anarchists, and those who felt like social misfits. It was here that Matthew's curiosity led him into a dark world of online criminal activities. In October 2011, the notorious hacking collective known as Anonymous decided to act against online predators. The child pornography site, Lolita City, on the infamous 4chan platform. Lolita City operated within the hidden recesses of the internet, utilizing the privacy provided by the Tor network. This abhorrent website shamelessly hosted disturbing array of images and videos featuring underage children. Lolita City was able to exist because of Freedom Hosting, the dark web provider. Anonymous's intentions to launch a cyber attack against Lolita City sent shockwaves against the online community. Having already targeted Sony, the Church of Scientology, and the Record Industry Association of America, Anonymous had set their sights on bringing down Lolita City, the pedophile ring. They wanted to expose its users to law enforcement. Anonymous firmly believes that Tor's capability to conceal the internet's users should not be extended to those who are involved in child pornography, calling the attack Operation Darknet. On October 14, 2001, a member of Anonymous had been surfing the hidden wiki when they stumbled upon a forum titled Hard Candy. This Tor Darknet site contained links to images depicting multiple platforms for child sex abuse. Anonymous members immediately hacked into the sites and removed the links, but they were quickly reposted five minutes later. In a document outlining their actions, Anonymous stated that they demanded the removal of the illegal content from the hosting platform by directly contacting the host's unidentified owner whose real name was Eric Marquez. Eric Marquez refused the request, prompting Anonymous to breach their network and shut down the computer's hosting of abusive images. Anonymous members launched the denial of service attack, causing the site to go offline and hard candy was removed. Through Anonymous's investigation, they identified that the hosting platform Freedom Hosting was responsible for 95% of the links on the dark web. Not 24 hours later, the owner of Freedom Hosting, Eric Marquez, had all of the sites back up and running by having every piece of child pornography backed up on his own computer. On October 26, 2011, Anonymous issued a statement explaining that they had used a honeypot link that is used for the forensic logging of users' IP addresses when they accessed Hard Candy in Lolita City. The term honeypot is a security mechanism that creates a virtual decoy site that lures and compromises the user's identities. As part of their campaign, Anonymous publicly disclosed the names of approximately 1,500 individuals to the authorities, who were users of the site known as Lolita City, home to over 100 gigabytes of child pornography. By 2017, Anonymous has taken down more than 20% of the dark web's child pornography and trafficking websites, and they continue the ongoing battle. It's sad to announce that despite Anonymous and the FBI's constant hunt to remove these pornographic sites, child exploitation continues to grow tenfold each year on the dark web. The news of Anonymous's attack on Lolita City caught the attention of 18-year-old Matthew Graham from Melbourne, Australia. He had only been using the 4chan network on the dark web. During this time, Matthew had begun his journey as a nanotechnology student at university in 2012. His path took the dark turn within the confines of his own bedroom. He adopted the screen name Lux. He delved into the online forums related to predator child pornography, inadvertently gaining access and insight to the supply and demand dynamics of these communities. During his exploration of the dark web, Lux discovered that the pedophile sites he joined prohibited the presence of hurt core content, 
Her court refers to a fetish involving the infliction of pain, torture, and even murder on non-consenting individuals, including animals. Lux aimed to introduce the first child abuse Hurtcore pornography site to the dark web in 2013, utilizing the hosting platform Freedom Hosting, ran by Eric Marquez. Lux created an umbrella organization that he named Pedo Empire. He established multiple websites such as Pedo Wiki, Hurt to the Core, Love to the Core, and PedoTube. These sites offered a collection of links and forums. Hurt to the Core specifically started attracting up to 400,000 hits per day. Shockingly, some of the users even posted themselves abusing their own children. Lux devised trusted member invites to grant new members access to his Pedo Empire sites. Premium content was reserved solely for those dedicated members of Lux's Pedo Empire those who demonstrated their unwavering commitment and desire for more disturbing material. To attain and maintain a premium membership, individuals were required to contribute unique and exclusive videos or images that were not available elsewhere. These members had to abuse children on a weekly basis and upload the content to Pedo Empire sites or they would lose their status. Children were forced to hold up signs that displayed the name of the site or Lux's name on the paper. Lux's ultimate goal was to become the unrivaled leader of the dark web's pedophilia community, and it earned him the title King of Hurtcore. In online forums, users would search for valuable advice, seeking Lux. Matthew Graham, going by Lux, was claiming to be a self-proclaimed pediatrician. Lux's expertise was showcased through a comprehensive list of recommendations that included how to kidnap, kill, and dispose of a child's body, how to drug children so they would be awake during the abuse but would have no memory of it afterwards, how to ensure there are no signs of sexual penetration, and how to groom and sexually abuse young children. Lux became obsessed with providing paid content for users. In one instance, Lux admittedly encouraged a Russian pedophile to kidnap, rape, torture, and murder a five-year-old girl. This leaked conversation showed Lux being satisfied with the pedo empire member taking his fantasy seriously of wanting to abuse a five-year-old child for Lux's site. Lux stated that he had many contacts willing to purchase the content, and Lux would provide detailed advice on how to get away with the murder of the victim. The extent of which the Russian individual followed through with their intentions remains unknown. Furthermore, a leaked chat thread exposed Lux's disturbing behavior, as he not only encouraged a member of his site to abuse a seven-year-old mute child with muscular dystrophy in a wheelchair, but also made a chilling statement. Lux claimed to work in the medical field as a pediatrician and boasted to the user that he would be able to track him down within a week if he was shown a picture of the child's wheelchair. Eventually, Lux deemed the content too risky for distribution, stating that the child is too identifiable. However, Lux callously advised the creator to make videos for his own gratification, stating that at least the mute child couldn't cry for help. When the user suggested Lux would only release the audio of the film, Lux responded with, quote, If you record the audio, then that can give away a lot, but it's good she can't speak. I don't think it's going to narrow it down. By July 2013, Lux's most popular site, Her to the Core, had grown substantially. It was split into 23,000 threads, discussing over 2,192 topics that included advice and guides on how to get what you want from kitties, sex tourism and prostitution, Kitty porn for dummies, toddler child porn star, how to make them scream. Those were just some of the threads and they were all created by Lux. 
Within Hurt to the Core, there were five video topics that stood out as the most frequently searched and requested by users. Crying Rape, Bestiality, Three Men and a Baby, Youngins and Bound, and Butchered Babies. Lux specifically requested that the videos for his child pornography site had the children ranging from newborn to 17 years old. Unbeknownst to those around him, Matthew Graham had been living a dual existence, utilizing his bedroom in his parents' quiet suburban residence as the nerve center for his online crimes as Lux, the CEO of Pedo Empire and the king of hardcore. As time went on, both authorities and hackers, they became aware of the existence of Hurt to the Core and they were mortified. And this is one of the worst parts. Due to the website's strict member referral system created by Lux, authorities were unable to gain access to the content because you had to be referred to by an existing member and people who joined had to produce their own explicit Hurt Core pornography involving children weekly. Had to be brand new and it had to be them in the video. Now, police, they can't do this. They can't upload that stuff. And the site, it remained protected and hidden from their reach. But the hackers out there, they were like, yippee ki motherfuckers. And they went straight into that server. And you'll never wrap your head around what was released by these hackers. So these hackers are from the state of Michoacan, Mexico. And they revealed a child sex trafficking organization based out of Morelia, which was operating transactions through Hurt to the Core. The forum thread was titled Child Sex and Prostitution, which was created by Lux, allowing users to hide their real identities. And this report was confirmed on Monday, December 9, 2013, by Michoacan Governor Fausto Figueroa. So hurt to the core, it was used to rent and sell children younger than 11 years old. Renting a boy or a girl was starting at $4,000 American, and buying one cost 10 grand. So minors, these included newborns, and they would be transported to any location the clients wanted, including scheduled events at hotel rooms for their convenience. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> so gross. This is so monstrous. Now, one post on Her to the Core read, quote, Oh God, this is awful. That, that wasn't in the quote. This is actually just awful. Okay, here's the quote. Don't worry about parents or anything. These children are taken and brought with only one purpose, of giving us pleasure. They aren't street children or anything like that. They are clean and ready to be used for the first time." End quote. Now, a man by the screen name Horny Ivan was revealed, and he admitted that he paid more than $30,000 for two boys ages two and six and a four-year-old girl. He admitted that he had to pay extra money afterwards because all of the children died from their sexual abuse at his home. And the girl was sexually abused between Ivan and his friend until she died. So hackers, they contacted the Mexican federal authorities to report the crimes, suggesting that various orphanages should be checked in on and they should check the reports to see if any children have gone missing after adoptions. And in September of 2015, Mexican media reported that there were no arrests made regarding the investigation. That's so sad. It's so sad. Now, I chose to do this episode to bring awareness to the topic. And the statistics on human trafficking are insane. So sit down because I'm about to spit some numbers at you guys. Here we go, Fear Cult. According to DisrupthumanTrafficking.com, human trafficking is one of the most prevalent crimes, particularly involving children. 
Traffickers exploit approximately 25 million people each year, which is equivalent to the entire population of Australia. Now, out of these cases, 52.1% involve minors, which means one out of every three victims is a child. The human trafficking industry, it generates an average of $150 billion annually, and this surpasses the net worth of McDonald's. As of 2021, Human trafficking has been identified as the fastest growing criminal industry worldwide, surpassing illegal arms trade and second only to the drug trade in terms of value. This next distressing statistic is an estimate by the U.S. President Advisory Council, and it suggests that every 30 seconds a child is sold into human trafficking across the globe. Every 30 seconds. That's faster than heating up a Pop-Tart. So every 30 seconds, a child is sold into human trafficking. So according to endslaverynow.org, traffickers select adolescents for various reasons. While children are mostly from broken homes, they're runaways, and they're from impoverished backgrounds, they are higher at risk. But even middle and upper class children can be targeted. So predators online and individuals seeking profit from the sex trade, they often choose children who have specific insecurities and vulnerabilities, making them easier to manipulate and control because it only takes eight minutes to groom a child. And this is why it's so important to teach kids the awareness of being safe online. Technology is our day-to-day -day life. More often than not, your cell phone is right on your hip and kids are growing up with this exact same lifestyle. So in the United States, the average price for sex at a brothel is $30 and trafficked children typically encounter 25 to 48 customers per day and they are forced to work up to 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And each year, a pimp can earn between $150,000 and $200,000 per child. And these figures, they highlight the disturbing reality of the financial gains made at the expense of vulnerable victims. So it's critical to be aware of the potential signs of human trafficking. And I'm going to read the potential signs of victims. By familiarizing ourselves with these red flag indicators, they're from disrupthumantrafficking.com, we can better identify signs before someone becomes a victim of human trafficking. So this knowledge empowers us to act and potentially save lives. So these are the physical indicators. Signs of abuse, sexual and or physical. Repeated drug or alcohol abuse. Permanent physical markings, branding, bruising. And unstable living situations. So they're living out of a suitcase or a motel or a car. Behavioral indicators, according to disrupthumantrafficking.com, are changes in attitude. So they're absent from school, they run away from home, they're disconnecting from family and friends, and lying. Victims can avoid communication and allowing others to speak for them, and they may seem disorientated or confused. And next, I want to address the most common ways traffickers lure their victims. It involves manipulating potential victims by building trust and then exploiting them sexually. Enslavement happens, and this is through debt bondage, and it often involves sale of victims by family members. Threats of violence also happens against loved ones to coerce victims into compliance. Another is seizing and withholding travel documents, deceiving victims into forced labor or sexual exploitation, exploiting victims through online manipulation, and this is targeting them through social media and through chat rooms and then kidnapping victims and using drugs to maintain control for the purpose of sexual exploitation. 
If you are a target of human trafficking or you want more information, contact the authorities or contact the National Human Trafficking Hotline at one 373 So raising awareness about human trafficking, it's crucial for several reasons. It helps prevent trafficking by enabling people to recognize the signs and take proactive measures. It also protects vulnerable victims by educating them about the tactics used by traffickers. So this awareness, it supports survivors and it reduces the stigma and promoting comprehensive services. It drives advocacy and policy change and strengthens laws and resources. And lastly, it disrupts the demand for exploitation by challenging the attitudes. So overall, awareness is powerful. It's a tool that we can use to combat human trafficking and protect the most vulnerable. So I know everything I've discussed so far has been a wallop, or as I like to say, woof. (laughs) I'm now warning you that the information that the story is going to progress into is about to get more violent and horrific. So listener discretion is strongly advised. In early 2013, an urban legend emerged within the depths of the dark web forums. Whispers spread like wildfire about a sinister film known only as Daisy's Destruction, a haunting hour-long violent sexual assault and torture of an 18-month-old girl named Daisy that would cause even the most horrendous pedophiles to be shocked into silence. Recognizing the potential allure of the supposed Hurtcore video, Lux was aware that its authenticity could attract a significant number of new members who would be willing to pay the rumored $10,000 for a single viewing. Lux found himself in communication with a user going by the screen name Excitagirl, who claimed to be the owner of a notorious Hurtcore film production company called No Limits Fun. Eager to obtain a copy of the infamous Daisy's Destruction, Lux established trust with Excitagirl. Eventually, Lux made an offer to purchase the film for $900 worth of Bitcoin. Excitagirl only laughed in response. The proposal was promptly declined, as Excitagirl pointed out that their movie could be valued at more than $10,000 in alternative sites. Excitagirl proposed creating custom videos specifically for Hurt to the Core if they wanted to enter a long-term business relationship. Lux rejected the offer, clarifying that his business objectives were not driven by financial gain, but rather focused on creating meaningful Hurtcore content. Consequently, he expressed his inability to afford the cost of acquiring Daisy's destruction, resulting in Lux dropping contact with the mysterious Excitagirl. But Lux successfully located and obtained four segments of Daisy's destruction, totaling a duration of 12 minutes. A horrific video, which he then shared on her to the core, making it freely accessible to all members. This act was driven by a desire for retribution as he failed to strike a deal with Excitagirl, the owner of No Limits Fun Production Company. Lux went as far as labeling them as whiny bitches. And in that moment, Lux felt invincible. He felt a sense of power. However, the question still remained, who exactly was Excitagirl, this mastermind behind No Limits Fun Productions and the creator of such a repugnant creation as Daisy's Destruction? Excitagirl, the owner of No Limits Fun Production Company, was revealed to be none other than 52-year-old Peter Scully. Born on January 13, 1963 in Melbourne, Australia, little is known about Peter's childhood, but it is widely reported that Peter Scully exhibited psychopathic and sociopathic tendencies throughout his life. Peter's actions, including the creation and distribution of extremely violent child pornography, suggest a severe lack of empathy and disregard for the well-being of others. Peter Scully's criminal activities began to surface in the early 2000s, 
He initially operated as a scam artist, engaging in various fraudulent schemes to make money in Australia. His criminal behavior escalated significantly when he moved into the dark web net of child exploitation and pornography. In 2011, Peter Scully fled to the Philippines after a property fraud scam that stole over $2.68 million from over 20 different investors. He was there in the Philippines, he set up No Limits Fun that involved the production and distribution of extremely graphic and violent made-to-order videos depicting the abuse of young Asian children. He chose to move to the Philippines due to the country's lax law enforcement and weak child protection measures, which provided him with the opportunity to exploit vulnerabilities and establish his pedophile hurtcore films for profit. In the city of Cagayan de Oro, Peter Scully crossed paths with two individuals who would become his accomplices, 19-year-old Lizelle Margallo and 18-year-old Carmi Ann Alvarez. Lizelle was enticed into Peter's criminal activities with promises of financial support while Carmi became involved through her association with Lizelle. During an interview with 60 Minutes, Carmi Alvarez revealed that she was in a relationship with Peter and he made a disturbing request. He asked her if she would help him adopt two young girls, one aged nine and the other aged 12. Carmi then lured two vulnerable cousins from the streets with the promise of food and brought them to Peter Scully's residence. Two days later, Carmi returned to find the children wearing dog collars and chained to the wall. The two children told her that Peter had sexually assaulted them violently and filmed the entire process. These videos were then uploaded to the dark web for those who were willing to pay. As time passed, Peter and his girlfriends approached parents in impoverished neighborhoods, offering to give their children food and an education if they let them have them for days on end, some even stretching into years. The parents didn't know that their children would be subjected to violent sexual abuse at the hands of Peter, Carmi, and Lizelle. Peter subjected his victims to unspeakable acts, coercing them to engaging in degrading acts of oral sex on him and his girlfriends. Carmi was captured on film participating in the sexual abuse and also aiding in attempting to suffocate one of the girls. This torment persisted for days, with Peter's cruelty escalating to the point where he compelled the children to dig their own graves on the property after they tried to escape. In one event, the girls were forced into consuming excessive amounts of alcohol, Overwhelmed by the intoxication, one girl succumbed to unconsciousness, only to be awakened the next morning, finding herself laying in a very shallow hole that she had been forced to dig the day before. Peter, under the mistaken belief that she had died after enduring a night of abuse, decided to throw her into the grave. The following day, Carmi claims that she was the one who released the two cousins, after feeling pity for them. The two children ran back to their parents and told the police. When authorities arrived at Peter's home, he and Lizelle were gone but Carmi was there and was arrested immediately. Police discovered that Peter Scully selected 15 separate locations in the city for his filming purposes, which gained popularity within the pedophile community. One of his most infamous films depicted the horrifying and sadistic rape and torture of three children, 11-year-old Cindy, 12-year-old Liza, and 18-month-old Daisy. This notorious snuff film was titled Daisy's Destruction and became widely known with the primary focus on the abuse of infant Daisy, the tagline at the start of the film was, quote, Come see a child's mental ruin, her innocence lost, used as a tool. She'll learn how to please her mistress, and her body will be ravaged, her dignity stolen. At the beginning of the film, 18-month-old Daisy is seen hanging upside down with her limbs spread apart and duct tape covering her mouth. A masked Lizelle is then seen torturing the baby as directed by Peter Scully from behind the camera. Daisy was waterboarded and sexually assaulted, she was raped with sex toys, alligator clips, and barbed wire. 
Carmi was seen dripping hot wax and igniting Daisy's private parts on fire. Peter occasionally made appearances while raping the victim, but most of his time was spent behind the camera. Tragically, only Liza and Daisy managed to survive the harrowing ordeal, but Daisy's life was forever altered by the devastating injuries she sustained. The unimaginable tragedy unfolded as Peter subjected 11-year-old Cindy to a series of horrifying acts, including rape, torture, and ultimately ending her life by strangulation with a rope. In an act of chilling cruelty, Peter forced Cindy to dig her own shallow grave just prior to her death. He threw her body into the shallow grave that was buried underneath his kitchen. However, thanks to the diligent efforts of forensics experts, Cindy's body would eventually be recovered from the grave allowing her grieving family to provide her with the proper and dignified burial. Peter Scully is an absolute monster, and so were his girlfriends. So, multiple people mean multiple timelines. So, back in Melbourne, Australia, Matthew Graham, known by his screen name Lux, he had leaked Daisy's destruction on her to the core, which had caused the site's popularity to just go through the roof. Now, authorities they would not have discovered this horrific video if it were not leaked by Lux. So Peter Scully's involvement in these heinous crimes, they came to light in 2015 when he was arrested in the Philippines. So Peter's girlfriend, Carmi, she had already been arrested following the escape of the two little cousins. The subsequent investigation uncovered a network of child exploitation and abuse, and it led to multiple arrests and the rescue of numerous victims. So three years after the murder of 11-year-old Cindy, her body was discovered buried in the home of Peter Scully. So Carmi told police everything involving the crimes committed by her, Lizelle, and Peter. And at this point, Peter and Lizelle, they're still on the run. But thank the Lord, Peter Scully would be caught and arrested on February 20th, 2015 in the Philippines because of an international investigation. So his arrest came after Dutch authorities traced an IP address associated with the video depicting child abuse at his location. And a search of his residence uncovered evidence of his involvement in child exploitation and abuse that matched the footage in Daisy's destruction. And to boot, he was also in the video. So Peter Scully, he faced a range of charges related to his involvement in the exploitation and abuse. These included child abuse, human trafficking, rape, production and distribution of child pornography, torture, and murder related to Cindy. Now, Peter Scully, he didn't show any signs of remorse for his actions during his trial or during interviews. He's absolutely disgusting. So throughout his trial and the interviews, Peter maintained a cold and just cocky demeanor, and he would deny or downplay his involvement in his crimes. So his lack of remorse only further highlights the disturbing nature of his actions and the harm he inflicted on his victims. Now, his one girlfriend, Lizelle Margallo, she at this point was still on the run, and she had changed her name to Shannon Carpio. She evaded capture for four years, and she posed as a fitness influencer and a wife of a wealthy software millionaire. So she fabricated this background story that her father was a police officer and her mother was a social worker. And all this information comes from Lizelle's roommates because she was living with two women. So Lizelle maintained an active presence on social media. She was sharing photos of this glorious life in hotels and she was in Cebu City. She was working as a part-time tour guide and she would offer sexual services to clients for additional income. Meanwhile, 
While in prison, Peter Scully is financially supporting Lizelle's lavish lifestyle. And to make Peter even more of a dirty scumbag, while in custody, he was continuing his illicit activities involving child exploitation. The FBI discovered that he was communicating with Lizelle via WhatsApp and Facebook from prison. No remorse. Lizelle finally gets caught and she pleads guilty and she shows no remorse and she pleads all this innocence. She provided testimony against Peter Scully and she was sentenced to imprisonment in 2017. Now, Carmi Alvarez, on the other hand, she she admitted her her guilt. She cried a bunch. She's still a monster. And she was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Now, as the investigation continued, it was discovered that Peter Scully's operation had caused the abuse of over hundreds of children from around the world and that more associates were actually involved in his operation. Some of the people were involved were Maria Dorothea Chia, and she received nine years in prison for her involvement. Her boyfriend, Alexander Leo, who was a taxi driver, he assisted Peter in transporting victims to buyers, and he received a nine-year prison sentence as well. There was a doctor from Brazil named Hanyo Quetano de Lovero, and he funded No Limits Fund videos and instructed Peter Scully on how to obtain drugs to drug children for his videos. When Haniel was arrested, authorities found over 37,000 images and 700 videos of children on his computer, and he was sentenced to 26 years in prison. There was a Canadian webmaster who worked for the Department of National Defense in Winnipeg. His name was Marshall Ruskin, and he traveled to the Philippines 15 times between April 2013 and April 2016 to abuse children with Peter Scully. There was one instance where he offered money to a confidential informant to have their daughter undress for him and perform oral sex on him. And Marshall Ruskin admitted that his fantasy was to break into a child's bedroom and rape her while she fought him off. So currently, Marshall Ruskin, although he is wanted in the Philippines, he has not been charged in Canada and is currently in his 60s, living with his Filipino wife. And there's another guy, his name's Christian Johann Roth, and he is a German client, and he purchased a child for $1,800, and the victim managed to escape and identified him. Now, I wasn't able to exactly find out what happened to this guy, because when it comes to this kind of crimes, give or take where it happens in the world, reports are very vague due to privacy. The pedophile spiderweb that's within the dark web is spun so deep, and Peter Scully is one of thousands of pedophile masterminds, but he is the worst of the worst when you really narrow them down. He was sentenced to 129 years in Filipino prison, thank God. But what really sucks about this guy is when I was watching his interviews from prison, I was so disgusted by his diva-like attitude he knew exactly what he did was wrong, but he had no remorse for a single ounce of his crimes. He was requesting electric fans because he was too hot in his prison bunk. He wanted better food. He thought that he deserved more money. I, I could only imagine how my face looked while watching these interrogations because the best word to describe Peter Scully is smug. He's a smug bastard and a certified fucking fruitcake. He's a monster. Now, when Peter was interviewed by 60 Minutes Australia, reporter Tara Brown, oh man, she grilled his ass and she was relentless. So Peter, he kept refusing to answer 
pretty much every question. And she just kept going. And she relentlessly asked him questions that were just degrading him and his crimes. And it was, it was beautiful. And Peter, he actually started to get nervous and he starts to swallow hard and his head drops down because he can't get over the amount of power that this woman has on him and is just grilling his ass because he's not answering, but she is not letting down. She asks him at what point did he start to feel remorse for his crimes against babies and children. And Peter said, quote, that's a very good question. Well done. That's a very good question. At what point do you feel remorse? I think there's different degrees of remorse, but I think your greatest remorse comes when you finally realize the extent of what you've done." End quote. So notice how he's removing himself from the question. Like he's not saying I or me. He's saying you. Like one might say a person may feel remorse and it's his way of detaching from his crimes and the question. So Tara then comes back and says, at what point was that for you when he felt remorse? And Peter pauses for the longest time and he says that he can't honestly answer that, obviously because he doesn't feel remorse. When he got asked if he had ever touched his own children, yes, he had children of his own in Australia, he got offended and he's like, no, like I could never do that, as if that would make him a monster, as if that were to push him over the edge bear me. So Daisy's destruction, this is one of the most horrific creations to ever come from the dark web. And do you remember Josh Duggar from TLC's 19 Kids and Counting? He was arrested in 2021 for molesting his younger siblings and having the possession of child pornography. And you guessed it, he was actively contacting people to get a hold of Daisy's destruction. Well, now that we've covered Peter Scully's life and Daisy's destruction, we are going to go back and focus on Lux, the creator of Pedo Empire and the Hurt Core site, Hurt to the Core. Now, back in 2013, Lux had not been able to secure a deal with Peter Scully to buy a copy of Daisy's destruction for 900 Bitcoin. So out of revenge, he managed to acquire four segments of Daisy's destruction and he posted it on Hurt to the Core. And because this film was so violent, the FBI picked it up immediately. And the FBI uncovered that Hurt to the Core was hosted by the dark web browser Freedom Hosting, owned by Eric Marquez. See how it's just coming full circle? You're gonna get caught. In 2013, the FBI uncovered Eric Owen Marquez as the owner of Freedom Hosting, the largest facilitator of online child sex abuse and pornography. The explicit images he promoted were described as extremely violent and graphic, involving newborns to 17-year-olds. On August 1st, 2013, the FBI raided Eric's flat in Dublin, Ireland, as he quickly attempted to shut off his laptop upon the officer's arrival in attempts to clear his information stored on the computer's RAM. He failed. Eric was too slow. The officer snatched his laptop and placed him in handcuffs. Upon analyzing the data stored in Eric's RAM, Forensic investigators discovered that he had visited a particular child pornography site 1,534 times. This site contained content with titles such as toddlers, preteens, and boys and girls. Additionally, Eric frequented another site with a total of 412 times. Disturbingly, investigators found that Eric had saved 107 pornographic materials on his computer. Of particular concern was a film titled Toddler Torture which depicted the abuse of an infant child. 
Despite Eric's claims of innocence and his alleged warning on freedom hosting, the FBI maintained that his involvement was in organizing and supplying child sexual abuse of material online to meet the demand. As a result, Eric Marquez faced charges of conspiracy to advertise and distribute child pornography, along with the possession of child sexual abuse material. Eric Marquez was labeled the kingpin of child pornography, as an estimated 8.4 million images and videos were supplied in his platform, Freedom Hosting. In 2013, after the arrest of Eric Marquez, the FBI continued to run Freedom Hosting briefly before shutting down the organization. The purpose was to catch as many other criminals in the time that they had. The FBI used the period to plant a JavaScript file within the sites on Freedom Hosting that exploited a bug within the Tor browser that bypassed the IP anonymization submitting process. This gave FBI moderated server control, collecting names and addresses. During this time, Lux had been at the top of his game with his hands on the most controversial Hurtcore film online, and he wanted to antagonize the police when they eventually shut down Freedom Hosting. Lux sent this message to the police saying, quote, well, it looks like this empire hasn't fallen yet. To any law enforcement agency who might be reading this, fuck off. You cannot keep us down, and every time you try, we will just get bigger and bigger. So thanks for the publicity and leading more pedophiles to where you can't catch them. To my fellow pedophiles, it won't be long until all the major child pornography sites are back up and running. In the meantime, I suggest you spend your newfound free time by going out and fucking some kitties. End quote. Possibly out of fear, Lux decided to personally leave a tip on the FBI's cyber hotline. The tip was as follows. My name is Lux, and not only do I run the largest online suite of child pornography websites on tour, but I also have knowledge about its users and their identities unrivaled by anyone out there. I'm willing to hand over control of my empire, including administration details for sites under Pedo Empire, the server details as well, and access to my personal emails. On top of that, I also have complete control over the large group of proven pedophile producers on any site. I'm sure that access to this, let alone anything else I'm offering you, is merit for the conditions I will outline below. The conditions include $50,000 in Bitcoin and immunity across all jurisdictions. The FBI did not accept the extortion. Lex responded by telling the FBI that they were not taking the situation seriously and that he would have to take care of the pedophiles himself, as if he were a martyr. For reasons unknown, on June 24, 2014, Lux posted on his Hurt to the Core forum, quote, As always, all empires eventually fall, and today is the day that we fall. After years of running child pornography hidden services, today is the day that I walk away. There are personal issues to which my close friends have been made aware of, that have forced me to make this decision. I don't like long, awkward farewells, so goodbye. Regards, Lux. The online community had been abuzz with the speculation surrounding the troubles faced by Pedo Empire. As users grew increasingly frustrated with Lux's uncharacteristically delayed responses, the site grew cold. The exact details of how Matthew Graham was apprehended by the FBI have not been properly disclosed. However, it is known that his capture was a result of collaborative effort between multiple law enforcement agencies that included the FBI, Europol, Canadian Police, and the Australian Federal Police. These agencies conducted a comprehensive investigation, utilizing various techniques such as digital forensics that tracked the IP address of Hurt to the Core and other Pedo Empire sites. They were tracked to South Morang, Australia. 
Now, Matthew Graham, aka Lux, he denied being the owner of Pedo Empire while in custody because he finally got arrested. He refused to unlock his laptop, but he handed over his cell phone despite his belief that he thought he wiped it clean. So investigators, they found three very disturbing images in his memory cache, two of deceased children and one of a grown man standing on a baby. Matthew, he was charged with possession of child abuse material and the FBI, without disclosing specifics, they positively identified him as Lux and made the arrest. So Matthew, he pleaded that he was innocent of all his crimes by saying, quote, I didn't do anything wrong. I just provided a platform for people with similar interests to connect and share content, end quote. What a numbnuts. <laughs> Like such a fruitcake. So through the investigative skills of Detective Senior Constable Christine Stafford, successfully she persuaded Matthew that they were aware of his true identity as Lux, the owner of Pedo Empire. And in order to gain his cooperation, she cleverly informed him that failure to comply would result in extradition to the United States where he would be faced with additional charges. Now this tactic proved effective as Matthew eventually <laughs> relented and provided the complete 64 character password for his laptop. And this aided in progress of the investigation. Now during later interviews with detectives, Matthew Graham stated that he did not consider himself to be a pedophile, but instead felt pride in the number of hits that his sites received saying, quote, I guess I wanted to be a part of something, and so I made it up. Sexualization was never anything I was interested in. It was the power within the pedophile community. At first, I felt ashamed of myself for being attracted to such a thing, but as time went on, I slowly grew more accepting of myself. It wasn't until I came across Tor Pedo Community that I was able to truly feel comfortable with these attractions." End quote. <laughs> so detectives labeled Matthew Graham as one of the most horrific pedophiles to ever exist, highlighting the ironic contrast of him being a non-contact offender. The term implies that while he was allegedly facilitating the abuse, he did not directly engage in it physically. Now, according to psychiatrist Adam Deacon, Matthew Graham, the 23-year-old, he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, depression, and immense social anxiety. And this took a significant role in the network empire that he operated from his bedroom. Psychiatrist Adam Deacon, he explained to the county court of Victoria that Matthew Graham experienced an ego boost from his involvement, which served as his primary motivation. So Matthew's social phobia was so severe that he couldn't even eat in front of others, which led him to rarely leaving his room in his parents' house in South Morang. And this was between 2012 and 2014. So he just sucked himself into the dark web where he felt like he could be a king and he became the king of her core. And on March 17, 2016, 23-year-old Matthew Lux Graham pled guilty to 15 counts of child pornography and her core abusive material, receiving a 15-year prison sentence for his crimes. 15 years. Matthew displayed difficulty expressing true remorse for his crimes, and he has been placed in solitary confinement because once he was in prison, he got the shit kicked out of him for his crimes. So now he's stuck in a box. 
In 2019, Eric Marquez, the creator of Freedom Hosting, was extradited to the United States by Irish authorities, and he was sentenced to 27 years in prison. Following his release, he would be subject to a lifetime supervision. And on February 6, 2020, Eric was sentenced after pleading guilty, effectively putting an end to his chosen avenue for engaging in illicit activities. Despite pleading guilty to his crimes, Matthew Graham, also known as Lux, continues to assert that he is an advocate for free speech. In an interview email with Patrick Howell O'Neill, Matthew Graham, aka Lux, responded to his actions by stating, quote, if anyone had ever done such a thing to any of the kids I know, I would put a bullet in their head. Given that, I still think people who have an interest in such things should have a place where they're able to voice their opinions and desires. That is the terrifying true story of Anonymous's attack on Darknet. Daisy's Destructions, Peter Scully, and Pedo Empire's Matthew Graham, aka Lux. It's deeply disturbing that Matthew Graham continues to justify his support for individuals with such horrendous interests. Even after acknowledging the severity of his own crimes, his statements not only reveal the lack of remorse that he has, but also a dangerous disregard for the well-being and safety of innocent children. It's essential to recognize that advocating for free speech should never extend to condoning or enabling harmful actions or desires. Absolutely not. The entire criminal world within the dark web is mortifying, and I can't tell you how many times while I was researching this episode, I would stop and say, it's time for a hanging! There'll be more, many more. Back on our never-ending quest to find a truly scary movie, I am going to be recommending a truly scary TV show. It's the same premise as To Catch a Predator, but this one's on Amazon. It's called Undercover Underage. There are currently two seasons, and it started in 2021, and I binged both seasons in two days, you guys. <laughs> couldn't put it down and one episode it actually had me holding my breath do you remember the movie don't breathe and there's the one scene where they're walking down the hall and then the guy comes out and he like walks right by them and naturally your reaction is to just hold your breath and then he stands there and you're like as an audience member you're like not breathing <laughs> that's what happens a lot on this show it 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 has you in a chokehold. It's so good. And the premise of the show follows the nonprofit organization SOSA, S O S A, Safe from Online Sex Abuse. And they work undercover with law enforcement to help catch online predators. The team has agents that naturally look very young, so they transform them into what looks like underage girls to purposely engage with child predators to protect the most vulnerable. And then they bring in the cops and it's like, swarm, swarm, swarm. It's so good. It's so satisfying to watch these creeps be taken down. And this team does not fuck around. They have sets for taking FaceTime calls so they can get the actual perpetrator's face. Like, it's it's insane. Oh, it's, it's so crazy what creeps there are out there. 
I mean, it's not surprising for me. I mean, I research this stuff all the time, and it's like, to think that these people exist is, here we go, time for a hanging. So check out the show, Undercover, Underage. It's on Amazon Prime, and it can help you see the patterns that online predators use to groom children. And it's scary because it only takes eight minutes to groom a child who doesn't know how to protect themselves online. It can help you learn as an adult what to watch out for, how to protect your children, and how to teach them to stay safe online. Now I tried to scare you, now you try to scare me. Follow Lullaby on Instagram at threads and Instagram at Lullaby the Fear Podcast and Twitter at Lullaby the Fear. So thank you for listening to this week's Lullaby. Sweet dreams. Lights out. <laughs>